Hello and welcome back or welcome to the Performance Rising podcast. Today, a very special episode. First of all, I get to talk to two people, which is the first time that it's happened on this podcast. Second of all, we are joined by some very illustrious guests. So today I have David and Keith Mayer here to talk um, about their book, Gold Dust, How to Become a More Effective Coach Quickly, um, and really dive into what's what's in that book how it relates to um, culture and coaching and uh, putting relationships back into coaching so there's a lot here in the bio too much for me to cover so i'm going to turn it over to david and keith to introduce themselves however they wish to be introduced so david and keith welcome to the podcast thanks very much uh, matt it's lovely to be here uh Extremely challenged, but excited at the same time to be part of uh, a part of what you this little journey that you're going to take us on. So, yeah, I so it's Keith. I started off as a, an apprentice professional footballer at uh, Bolton Wanderers, and uh, spent two happy years there, and then went to a professional club, my local club, Wigan Athletic, and. Uh, I, I didn't have a long playing career. I got injured early and, you know, I probably wasn't good enough. But, uh, you know, that, that bottom line is, you know, the, the game playing professionally wasn't wasn't going wasn't gonna to make me any money. So I travelled over to the States. I was fortunate to get a, a scholarship, two-year scholarship at Mercer County Community College in New Jersey in 1981 and in 82. Uh, finish off winning the national championships which was which was excellent a super experience for us or for me and then what what next i you know i didn't want to pursue the educational route got offered a uh, four-year scholarship or a scholarship at a four-year college and declined that came home and then decided to go into coaching and uh, you know started to cut my my teeth into into what that journey would entail and finished off over uh, over a, a short period of time attaining my what was called the, the full badge which is now the air license back in 1985 and you know since then the the world has been a, a wonderful place and a wonderful learning experience for me where i've traveled and been very fortunate to to coach on many continents and across many countries I currently coach at uh, uh, Liverpool Football Academy part-time. Prior to that, I worked at Nottingham Forest in their academy and, and got offered a, a full-time role there, which I uh, didn't particularly fancy going into football full-time. And then uh, prior to that, uh, I worked at uh, Leeds United Centre of Excellence. Uh, I'm also an affiliate tutor for our RFA, delivering courses, and I've thoroughly enjoyed my journey so far in this in this new arena that we're experiencing at the moment. And for those who don't know, Liverpool FC is just a very small uh, local team in the town, right? Uh, well, it's all, I guess that's all relative, isn't it? 
Yeah, Liverpool FC is one of the biggest clubs in the world. Uh, champions of Europe and currently leading the Premiership. So that is a, a huge deal to work for them. And uh, we're just really excited to have you. Thanks, Keith. Pleasure. Thank you. David. Yes. Thank you for having us on, Matt. Um, so my story path journey is very similar to my dad's. I also played, I uh, played, played in the, in England, played in Spain, um, played in the U S and I, I actually retired and ha- had to retire at 25 due to injury. I had, um, quite a, quite a big surgery at 25 I've, and, and that was it. I've never played since, but I was lucky at the time that I was, I was already involved in coaching to an extent. I was just completing my UEFA B license at the time. And um, I, 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 going forward from there, it was, I'm not playing. What do I do next? And I enjoyed coaching. It was something that I always loved doing, even though it was just as a hobby. And I think growing up, uh, being around my dad and, and the people that, that my dad was around too, I, I got a, I guess, a, a really good head start. Um, in, in regards to the learnings that took place. So at, um, at 25, went into coaching, um, I guess full-time, you could say. And I'm now based in Utah, in Salt Lake City, with a, a club called Seven Elite Academy. That, that is a, a relatively new club, um, but we're also, the club itself, we're also based in, in the UK and in Tanzania. So I spent quite a lot of time over the past 18 months in, in the U S um, in the UK and also in Tanzania, which has been a, an incredible, incredible experience. And, um, obviously like my, my dad mentioned, we're on a, a new journey now in regards to the book, which, which came out on November 27th of last year. And that's taken us somewhere else as well. So, it's been um, it's been great so far. We're, we're thoroughly enjoying it, and we're we're really enjoying being able to to pass on messages that we've written within the book, and 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 also have people come back to us and say that they found a lot of value from it. So uh, that's that's a little bit about me. And again, thanks for having us on. We're looking forward to this. Thanks, David. Uh, I did read the book, and I can concur with you. There's so many great little nuggets in here. Uh, personally, having spent most of my adult life pursuing coaching and trying to figure out how to best create environments that support relationships and student athletes, um, it's really refreshing to see your perspective. And there's a lot to talk about. Uh, this might even be a two-parter, but we're going to jump right in and uh, with the first question, which is, who is this book dedicated to? Yeah, many years ago, I bumped into a gentleman called Dick Bert, uh, 35 years ago, in actual fact, and he was on my, on one of the courses that I was attending. So I'm just going through, I'm cutting my teeth into the game. And a gentleman walked in and he, he didn't walk, he actually glided. He, he was tall, slender, extremely articulate, and uh, very well groomed, but extremely intelligent. And his technical detail was as good as I'd ever come across. That gentleman, little did he know, as I, uh, you know, at that point, little did he know, neither did I, that 
we were going to go on a journey and the paths would cross again in our, you know, in our years of uh, going through, you know, the, the circles of observations, but he would, his name would always be dropped in or he'd be delivering. Uh, so the book is dedicated, uh, you know, to a guy, a gentleman called Dick Bert, who sadly passed in 2018 and uh, 10% of the proceeds uh, Matt, uh, of the profits of the book go to the Giles Trust, the brain tumor fund that looked after Dick in his latter years of life. But Dick himself, he delivered across the world many, many courses and directed our air license, the UEFA license and directed courses over in South Korea which I was very fortunate to deliver the pro licenses out there with Dick, and you know I've got a, I'm not an, I'm not a pro license holder myself, but I felt it extremely, I was privileged to be asked to even deliver on the course, and work alongside uh, you know, this gentleman that I had such a, a gentle way about him, but you know a very private man that never spoke badly about anyone, and so. You know, when we when we decided to put the book together, uh, we were sat in Hotel Starbucks. We call it Hotel Starbucks, uh, where we close to where we live. And uh, we asked; it was David's idea. Do you think we should dedicate the book to to Dick? And I, you know, I'm not ashamed in sharing this. I, I literally did have an emotional moment. Walked out of Starbucks and had to collect my. Uh, my thoughts first and foremost, and then secondly, uh, I rang Dick's wife Maggie just to see whether we could, whether we, she would give consent to this, and you know, share support, of which she did. And you know, from David mentioned when the book came out, the twenty seventh of November, on the 29th of December, it was a number one bestseller in the UK on Amazon. So you know, everything that's Everything that we placed and put in place has really been, you know, Dick Bates played a massive part in, 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 in the book itself, even though he's no longer about. Yeah, thank you for sharing such powerful emotion. And, you know, thank you for dedicating part of these proceeds to a very worthy cause, certainly um, a disease that affects many people throughout the world and just want to get behind and support that. So thank you. You're welcome. Uh, uh, so the next question is really, what's the origin of this book? Where did it come from? What inspired you? And what does the title Gold Dust mean? Yeah, the the book. Um, so my dad, quite funny, he actually started writing a book 15, 16 years ago now. And um, I've seen... I've seen what he what he did. It was only a few sentences. He he he'd say himself. He was wasn't really able to get past that. Um, so it got to it was May last year. We were on a course together in London, and as my my dad was leaving the course, um, I was actually flying out to to America. And but I called me and he said, you know, I, I want to write a book and. I straight away asked, well, I'll, 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 I'll write it with you. And we knew what we wanted it to be about. We knew what the, the end goal was of building a book around the importance of connection, the importance of relationships and how you do it, um, are ways that you can do it. And 
that was that was the big thing, but there was obviously a lot of steps along the way of how do we get a book and get all the content together and, and make it efficient and good enough that we could actually put our names to it. And from from May to probably probably for about a month, we were doing a bit of research. We we spoke to people that we knew and it, it only really started taking place in July. We what we did, we interviewed twelve people who were who were also who were featured in the book that are are at the top of the the game in the respective sports. We've got a lot of soccer people in there um, from first team managers that have been well, Darren Moore, who was the first team manager at West Brom, to some of the the top academy coaches in in the UK, and also we we got a, a guy called Justin Holbrook who was. He's a, a very, very successful rugby coach. He's got the, the highest win percentage of any any coach in, in the professional game in, in England. He's an Australian guy. He's recently took a job back in Australia. And we got a, a, a former two-time world champion, Ty Boxer, who own, now owns his own gym. He was an ex-teacher, um, now has a gym, and he's had over 50 world champions. And we wanted to know, as well as our thoughts, ideas, experiences, and knowledge, what these people did to get success and when I say success I, I don't necessarily we don't necessarily mean from a results perspective but more so results from or success with individuals um, so that started taking place around July the book actually only got we only started writing the book at the end of July and within four months um, it was released so it it happened quite quick it was a there were a lot of hours spent. My dad mentioned Hotel Starbucks. We had a, a tables reserved for us. Um, they might as well have just engraved our names in them. But we, we spent a lot of time there um, putting the work together and doing more research and, and coming up with something that we truly believed would add value. And as we mentioned, when it came out in November, um, at the end of November, it within two days became a bestseller and it's been it's been really has been brilliant and we believe in the book um, we it's something that we live by in regards to the importance of connection it's not just in sports it runs through everything you do and it's been it's been great so far we're we're loving the journey we're loving what the book's providing for people and we hope that that continues yeah What's it like to work together as a father and son? Yeah, it's it's been um, it's been great. I don't think um, I may be wrong on this. I may be wrong. I don't know of any father and sons that have released a book that has become a bestseller. I may be wrong on that. So if anyone is aware, I'd love to know. But I think it goes beyond that we from from as early as i can remember whenever my daddy's mentioned he was at nottingham forest and at leeds uh, even though i was playing i was involved in in the academy system in the uk from seven years old but whenever i wasn't playing i was with my dad we spent so much time together uh, we i've spent a total of eight years of my life in the us we speak every day uh, most days it's a phone call or a now, obviously, it could be a FaceTime, which is great because I get to see the dog too. 
Um, but even if it's just a couple of messages. So we, the, the relationship goes beyond the book, but having, having the relationship that we have has made what we've created, I, I think, even more meaningful. Um, and just being on, being on this podcast today, speaking with you and being able to do it with my dad, um, I know you mentioned, Matt, it's, it's the first time you've had two people on. And, you know, it, it's, it's just, I, I love the fact that we uh, were able to, to do what we're doing. And I, I, I'm unbelievably fortunate. I'm unbelievably thankful for, for the opportunity that I have. Um, and, I, and I'm not, I'd never take it for granted. And I'll cherish the times that we're able to, to spend together and do these kind of things. Keith, what's it like to work with your son? Yeah, listen, uh, Matt, um, I'm blessed. I've got, yeah, I've got, I've got my best friend on the other side of the, you know, the other side of the Atlantic. But fortunately, technology brings us a lot closer. I know when I first went to the States in 1981, you know, we we didn't have this. You know, we weren't fortunate enough to have. You know, this, it was telephone calls and a fortune to be able to do that, to actually contact my own dad. But, you know, I could not have had a better partner working alongside, collaborating and building and collecting information and data and then being able to share that across the masses. So I've always, wherever David's played, not all the time because I've been coaching myself, but... You know, I was coming back. We played. I was at Nottingham Forest at the time, and I used to take the under 16s there. And we 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 played. We tend to we tended to play players up quite a lot. And this particular weekend, we're playing at Leicester, which is a local derby and or one of the local derbies. And we we'd actually accumulating all the all the what we'd class to be the better players. The players that have been playing up all came and you know they all came together. So we uh, we actually I'm travelling back. David rings me up. He said I've scored a goal, and and I and I'm listening to this, and that hurt me a little bit. You know, I missed something. I missed that experience of something of a, a great magnitude to him. For me, it was just I'm just listening to my son score, telling me about the goal, and I had to. I told I rang the academy manager up at the time, and just in, in that moment, listen, I'm finishing. I finished the season for for the club and as it turned out, there was one or two changes within the actual schedule. So I stayed another season, but I did get to watch David play. So wherever he's played, Matt, you know, even when he was down in England and down in uh, for B- uh, Bisham Abbey on, with Glenn Oddle, uh, his academy, who was the ex-England manager. And I'd go and spend a couple of days. So he's, I'm fortunate, I'm blessed, I've got, Super kids, you know, my daughter included, but David is someone that we we do speak daily. We we don't drink and we don't smoke, uh, and it's just an hello or it's a. There's always some dialogue taking place, and this journey that we're now on gives us another opportunity to spend even more time together. We're on something that, you know, it's driven from a business perspective rather than you know father son. So, yeah, I'm I'm blessed. It's yeah. Very special. Yeah, your your affection for each other certainly comes through. It's pretty obvious. And in many ways, to me at least, um, that relationship is the basis for this book. 
everything you're talking about in this book, I see uh, right now is, is being uh, right here in front of me between you two. Um, where does the title gold dust come from? The, uh, so the, the title, it's something that my dad's used for, for many years now. Uh, he, he'd refer to the term sprinkle a little bit of dust on people's lives. Um, and it, it, it basically the, the meaning of it is that we're sprinkling particles of, uh, particles of, of gold dust, particles of knowledge, um, golden nuggets of information into people's lives to make them feel good about what it is they do. So my dad will, he can, he may be able to elaborate on it a little bit more too, but it is a, that, that we're sprinkling gold dust, sprinkling knowledge, sprinkling knowledge, sprinkling value on, uh, on people's lives. Yeah. I think in addition to that, you know, every, when we're actually connecting with people, Matt, we, we've got to leave them with something of greater importance, making them feel good when, when we leave. And, and I know that's, it doesn't always happen, but with the intention of, so, you know, we're sharing some information. So the, the, the particles of, you know, the, the, the gold dust, you know, the little particles of extremely special information, content, a word, you know, a saying, a, a, a touch, a, you know, a, a look, all of those are an accumulation of something of, you know, that, 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 that is, you know, a buildup of this, you know, this big content, this nugget, this gold, which is uh, extremely important mineral. So that's really where it started from. And, you know, we didn't look, it, we, it's been organic. We've not read the book, you know, we've not done much research around other titles. It was something that's come from the art, ourself. And then we we just play with it because I'm the type of person I want to know where I'm going. I want to know where I'm going, and then uh, and then there's some purpose and direction behind things. But when you set away and you don't know where you're going, then how do you how do you know when you land? Because you never will. So it's like a ship without any rudder. And in essence, that's really what this is taking. This is how this is taking. This is how it is. It's we've set out from the harbour and we're away now into. I guess we're coming out the arbor or perhaps we're still in the arbor, but at least we've, we've set sail on something and, you know, we're, we're heading somewhere. I don't exactly know where that place is, but it's an enjoyable experience in the, uh, you know, I'm sure there'll be some turbulence around it, but we're, you know, I think we're big enough to be able to come through all of that as well. So yeah, that's really where it came from. And as soon as, as soon as the title came out, or we hit a title, it just, it, that was it. We didn't need much thinking or renegotiation or going back to the drawing board. That was it. It felt right. And, and it has true meaning because we're, as David said earlier, we, we live it. And, uh, you know, after my 37 years of coaching experience, the more and more I'm thinking I'm knowing, the more and more I find out I don't know. So I don't have any, any qualms about wanting to learn and to extend my, my current knowledge base on other things as well. Cause I'm sure there might be things that are in the book or sorry, certain things that may not be in the book, but you know, that it is what it is, but we we're comfortable with it. And you know, the, the feedback we're getting from, from this has been positive up to now. And I'm, again, it's, it's certainly reaching out to many uh, across the world. It's 
I'm led to believe it's certainly in six countries. It may be in seven. Uh, so yeah, that that's really where it's come from, and we're we're we're, going, we're just enjoying it. So the more the more that buy it, obviously it's it's doing something. Yeah, you described the journey. I think it's a perfect metaphor, at least to frame this conversation, because going through this book is really a journey. And with that being said, I want to start at the beginning of the journey, the beginning of the book. And you you have a sentence and you lead the book with it. And it says, when people feel better, they generally perform better. What does that mean to you? Yeah, sports and um, sports are the... The, the feeling sports, uh, we we talk about it and we've spoke about it a lot of both being involved in, in soccer as it's a feeling sport. When you feel good about going out to play, you do perform better. I'm sure there are there are athletes that may go out and they don't feel good and it's not to say that they won't perform well because some may, but across the board when people feel good, they generally perform better. That's generally when they learn more. Um, and that's where the, the growth comes from. People want to be around you. If, if, if you make somebody feel good about what it is they do, they want to be, be around you more. They want to spend more time with you. And um, that, that, I'm not going to say that sums up what the book is about because there's obviously a lot of stuff in there that, that we cover around how you do it. But it's a feeling book, and the one quote that that really I think the book was based off is the Maya Angelou quote: "Where people may forget what you said, people may forget what you did, but they'll never forget how you made them feel." And the feeling thing comes through quite a lot throughout the book, and that that quote sits really deep with with me, and I know it does with my dad. And again, that was that that was a lot of where the book came from. Um, around how people feel. How can you make them feel? Yeah. The thing about the feelings is is to help people feel calm and relaxed in being in your presence, but being in their own world and being calm in their own world. And so within the book, there are strategies and examples from other field experts that shared the wealth of knowledge on how they do it uh, and, and the, the success that's game. And, and again, it's all relative, isn't it, success? But, you know, people all tend to, you know, they remember, remember the good experiences and equally the bad, but how do we want to lead them? We want to leave them with a good or a negative experience in, 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 in how we operate, certainly where I work, uh, and, and believing wholeheartedly that, if you're leaving anyone with a negative experience or a negative feeling, you know, if it's, if it's justifiable, you know, there's, there's reasons, but we've got to leave them with a good experience because they want to come bounding back. We want to leave players when they leave practices, scraping the floor with the nails. They don't want to believe it. And when they come, when they're actually coming into the facility, they're, they're running in and, and can't wait to get started. And that's generated from how we actually operate around them, how we communicate, what we know about them, how we've initially connected with them. And, and, and after all of that, then, you know, the rest of it is down to their own, own ability levels to see where they can go with it. But we've got to free them up 
and uh, the book actually helps you know hopefully helps coaches to 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 use their application to apply certain principles to to uh, you know to to work with the players and so it's the not only our experiences they they come across these other 12 other field experts that have got a wealth of knowledge in working in the same area and it just so happened when we interviewed these these experts they they just came up with similar similar responses similar answers so the quote is from Maya Angelou is very much you know the art and the belly of of the book but it started well before that when David was over in the States he sent the quote to me and I at the bottom of my emails that's where it's played I placed that I used to change it weekly and that stays at the bottom of my my, my emails it's a fantastic quote I want to kind of unpack a little bit here your relationship to feeling so you both have been professional footballers you've coached you have been around a lot of coaches the the idea of putting players first from my perspective is seen right now as quote unquote cutting edge which is kind of mental to me because you know I have roots in education and in in those roots it's always you know put the student first go where the student is so I'm wondering you know in your experience really it's a two part question the first part is did you have did you feel like the safety you describe in the book did you have that safety in your own career um and then the second part is do you think it is new or is this something that's always been around and it's just becoming, it's being brought to light more now? Yeah. Um, uh, my experiences past my, we never, uh, you know, I come from humble background. My dad and my mum were hard workers and were brought up in, uh, what we what we class to be a, a council estate so you know as you start to uh, my parents started to work and my dad decided to come out of that we bought his own house so but it was very any performance that i had i could never please him i could never whatever i did it was very difficult i, I feel i would generate the feelings i've done okay and then you know yourself whether you have or you haven't all I needed were affirmations and confirmation from my dad. And I, and I didn't get that, to be honest. So I, I guess that embedded that conditioning years ago where, you know, I didn't set out when we had children that both my children would not be getting that same experience. But, you know, it, it's, it's been rooted. Uh, and, you know, hopefully that's never been the case. So if there's anything possible, then... The only stopping is, is is your own either the the uh, your own values and beliefs. But you know, the reason why David and my, my daughter are doing ever so well, I believe, is the support and the positive support that they've been given, as there is no restriction in life other than other than what you uh, what you put upon yourself. So, so that's that, that's the the first thing. Uh, your second question uh, in regards to. Has it always been there? Yes, I, I think it has. Look, we've got everything. We're built with 
many things. We're born with a, a three-pound lump, of, oh, not born with a three-pound lump, of, a matter in the head. When it's fully developed, it weighs around three pounds. And, you know, it's the, the, the capacity that the brain can actually take is untapped. We, we talk about it, we don't thoroughly understand it. So I just feel as the, you know, we're educating now, we're becoming more educated on how players should be treated, how they should be handled, and, and equally, uh, you know, how, how we give them the freedoms to, to go off and, you know, be as creative as is possible as, as, as they can then start to shape up their own direction rather than being coach-led, which I think in the past, in my years of coaching, I've seen many changes, Matt, but it's been very coach-led and dictatorial, and I'm sure that still takes place in many parts of the world, and uh, particularly over in the US, which is a slightly different model, which are, you know I have uh, solid beliefs how, how people need and must be treated. Uh, and so... I think it's always been there. I just think now we're we're becoming uh, open, more open, because there's a more educated people coming into the game. When I say educated, they're academically smart, but they don't have the understanding yet because not got the experiences. Got to build that, that, you know, that that pool so that the, you know the footprints and the steps that we go for that they take forward. You know, they're following uh, they're following good models, good mentors. You know, reading good books deeply into good books and following and searching out, listening for good podcasts. And, uh, you know, in these unprecedented times, it's, you know, it, it, this is brilliant to be able to share, you know, share our, uh, our experiences upon, you know, your, your, your listeners. Uh, but it's only one way, you know, who's to say it's right or wrong. It's something that I wholeheartedly believe in. So two things, you know, I think my upbringing has certainly shaped who I am now because I didn't want my children to be, to be brought up in the same circumstances I had. And we weren't injured or armed, but it, it just, I just feel as it, you know, it might have been slightly different for me, which I don't regret anything. It was under the, you know, my dad's, it was their understanding of how to bring children up. Uh, and then the second thing is I think we've always had this, you know, this underlying, uh, you know, potential to, to develop and be around good people who really care about the development of and setting up a lovely culture, warm culture, which takes time, doesn't it? Building culture. But certainly when you're around good people, good coaches, you just want to go back to them. You know, they make you feel good. They make you feel like a million dollars. What they're doing constantly is, you know, they feed it their verbal vitamins that, that you know, they're making, they're sprinkling that, magic that they have through the language and the, the tonality and their, their actions. And so our experiences, it's a memorable one. And, and look, that's what we do. We're creating. Every time we interact with someone, we're actually creating a memory. So how do you want to be remembered? I mean, I don't go out and coach. I know at the moment not coaching, but I don't, I don't go out and coach and think the lads will remember me for something. All I want to do is just ensure that you know, their importance is uppermost in my mind to, you know, their development is uppermost in the mind to actually help them. And that, that's really what it's about. David, did you have a similar experience? Um, a little bit younger, so a generational difference as well. I'm wondering, you know, the, having been coached and coaching, did you feel this 
did you feel uh, or did you have coaches who supported this or was your experience generally different and maybe, uh, you know, a different model, a different time, a different relationship, very coach centered. I'm just curious about your experience. Um, yeah, I mean, so my dad touched on it, on his up, upbringing. Um, mine was, I think he's like, you mentioned mine was different because, um, I was, was in that, I grew, I grew up in a different environment and I spent a lot of time watching my dad, watching what he does and not just watching him, but watching other exemplars and how they, how they act. Um, I asked a lot of questions and I still do to this day of, of people of why they do what they do and what are the benefits of it and making sure I can do whatever it is I come to learn. Um, and I, I look at, I'll also look at the, my favorite coaches and my favorite teachers and what is it they did to make my experience enjoyable. And I think you have to, you have to try and replicate while also bringing your own identity to that because there's a reason that I enjoyed it. They did something to make the experience enjoyable. And um, with, with the, the second question around, has it always been around? Like my dad said, yes, it has. I think I may be wrong on this, but I've yet to come across, um, I've yet to come across, across a coach that actually does it and doesn't want to help the players. Um, I've, I've never come across a coach that's, that's been in that, that's been like that yet. However, um, what I would say is, I've seen coaches and not only coaches, I've seen coaches, I've seen parents that are dealing with athletes. Um, I've seen teachers that are dealing with students that they may actually be doing more harm than good and not for any other reason. And they probably don't understand what it is they're doing. And the, the, the knowledge may not be there. Their experiences may not be there. And I, I there's a, there's a, a coach I know he's a, he's a really good guy. He, he cares massively about his players, but the, the way that he interacts with them, the way that he speaks to them, the language that he uses and the words that he use, uses has a, a negative impact on the players. And he doesn't know that. He, he, he's never been told any different. And I think it's getting better across the board now because it's becoming, it's come more to the surface and there are, there are more tools to help educate people. And my dad touched on you, the social media, the podcast, the books, the access to things is it's more prevalent. You can get access to anything you want now through the power of the internet and the things that it brings and the coaches that, that really want to, want to get better they can get better and there are a lot of places for them to do that but um yeah it's always been the i do think it's getting better and it's great to see that it's getting better and it but it is a it, it's based around what you know as well if you know how to make people feel good if you know the the impact and the effects of what it is you're doing you'll have a you'll have a greater impact moving forward with the athletes yeah Wow. <clears throat> so to attempt to unpack all of that, I'll say we're going to end the education, but we'll start um, with uh, Keith, you mentioned the American model and 
I can only share my opinion on that because I've been in this space my entire life. And there's a history, there's a paradigm and a history in the U.S. And it's rooted in, uh, you know, the first, quote, American sports, which is football, especially. And football, which is actually derived from a military model, placed the coach front and center. And the, um, the American paradigm or the imprint of what a coach was and is, in my opinion, came from that coach as a dictator, coach is always right model. And unfortunately, what I have seen is this is hanging around in the American zeitgeist. Uh, and I've seen it in every sport, uh, specifically soccer, where I've spent most of my time. There's a very clear division between, you know, those who, who have any insight, any insight to feeling. I won't say education, just insight. And, and those who are really struggling to understand that piece. And unfortunately, how that comes across is incredibly destructive to young people. Um, you know, the dropout rates, David, I don't know if you deal with this but the dropout rates in the U S is, is startling. It's like 80% uh, of young athletes will stop uh, by the age. I think it's 14. So having said that, uh, you know, David, my first question is for you. And that is, have you seen a, have you experienced a difference between the English model or the English paradigm in the U S it, it, you know, are the characters the same no matter what, or have you seen and felt a real different orientation? Yes and no. I think everywhere you go, everywhere you go, you'll get some fantastic people. Um, a lot of it comes down to the education. Um, like I, I mentioned previously, if if you don't know any better. Um, then how do you really know what it is you're doing? And to answer that, it's a tough one um, because in the, uh, if you go to the academy system in, in the UK, you'll have some fantastic, I mean, top, top, top coaches. And over here we, in the US, when I say over here, in the US, there's less of it. I, I certainly do think there's less of it. And you touched on the the football american football model um of the the dictator and be in front and center when in reality the the coach is there to guide and help not to be the the dictator and the actually the word um, we we've mentioned it in the in the book the word coach actually derives from the village of koch um and basically what where the story comes from is the the village of Koch they would transport goods um, down the the river Danube and the this long story short the, the the word coach means to transport goods from one place to another so um, in the UK and, and over here too you have the word coach which is a vehicle and it's transporting things. And as a coach, it's, it's the exact same. You are transporting goods from one place to another. And the people that you work with, the athletes, the, the students, um, they're valuable. They're valuable goods. And our job as a coach is to, as best as possible, is to transport them from one place to another and leave them in a better place than where we started. They're valuable and we want to we help them along the journey. 
Yeah, thank you for that. Keith, I'm gonna to come to you here about education. So I have uh, NSCAA Premier Diploma, which is now United Soccer Coaches. Um, so I, I've spent considerable time going through the licensure system in the US. So one of the things I have noticed is in that development, in those courses, we learn about tactics, we learn about technique, we learn about some psychology, we learn about physical fitness, but there really isn't any psychosocial or piece about effective uh, relationships. And this was driven home to me because uh, just what last in the fall, I guess, I was fortunate enough to take a course hosted by FC Barcelona. And what I saw there very clear is you know, their intense focus on the coaches, everything you said, right? The coach is there to make the experience of the player a positive one, uh, to encourage their best uh, in, in, in the psychosocial realm. So Keith, knowing that you have and continue to be involved in coaching education in England, I'm wondering, has this uh, feeling piece been in, injected into coaching curriculums? We have, we've integrated. I don't think there's been a, per, I guess in one or two coaches' minds, that it's, it has been purposeful. But again, you, you know, you touch on it, Matt, you know, the X's and O's, the technical uh, aspects, the planning, the organisation all play an integral part. But, you know, we had a, in fact, it's in the book, it features in the book, a guy called Pete Sturgis, and uh, Pete was very instrumental some years ago in coming out what, with what we call modules. And Pete uh, directed the module, uh, or he built the module one course for the FA. And, uh, you know, that was very much in around creating the environment for players. So it's very, a lot of specificity around, you know, the planning's important. Yeah, you need practices, but are you coaching players or are you coaching the practice? And then if you want to coach the practice, then you've still got to incorporate the players. And I, I believe coaches, some, actually coach the practice and forget about the players. They spend that much time in the cones knowing the right players are a ball. So, you know, the players are, and again, that good experience from the coach. Well, the coach only knows what he knows. You know, the, the, their intention, like everybody, you know, there's a positive intention behind everybody's actions, whether that is perceived or comes across from the recipients is another matter. So what we have done uh, more so now, there's a lot of coaches familiar with and very, very tuned to, you know, the environment, social, psychosocial stuff, very much so. And, you know, through, through our own experiences of uh, our experiential movement, where you, you've got to get on the deck, you've got to start working with players with the intention then to, to can you provide them with something and uh, but it's the magic lies, Matt, you know, you do the what. And so, yes, we, we have got that. There has been uh, a definite movement from, you know, the technical stuff to more, how do you get that? How can you connect with the players and what, what strategies are actually being used and are, and are effective? And of course, they're all bespoke, aren't they? Because you can use one strategy for, for one player, but it doesn't work for the next. So it's organic. You've got to be attuned to your, your, your environment very much. You know, you're opening up your senses. Uh, so your sensory acuity is, is heightened by uh, 
you know, which point of focus you want to work on. Are you working on technical? And there is a place for it, by the way. Or are you going to be focusing today on, you know, building this social construction piece where, you know, the players are playing a part in the practice and actually incorporating them in the design of the practice. So there's more questions and, you know, you're the, 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 they're a stakeholder in the practice, stakeholder in the, in the actual, you know, their development. And so, so you've got to allow them, the players, through your, through your, your, your question and the quality of the questions, to actually come up with their own answers without us telling them. I think, briefly, I, you know, I, I think the, see the, the magic doesn't lie in the questioning. It, it comes in the actual listening to the response. So anybody can ask questions. But are you listening with intent? And are you listening to their actual answer? Because the answer might not be appropriate, might not be accurate, might not be the right answer. So therefore, you know, if we're open up, if we open them up with a, a slightly different response or give them a, a throw out another question, you're actually delving in to get a deeper response. So you're getting a greater understanding. Now that doesn't mean they can actually apply it in, in action. It just means they've got a greater understanding of, of the theoretical aspect of it. What we're then going to do is catch them, catch them actually doing something, uh, you know, in action and then responding and then, you know, giving them a response. You know, I saw what you did, Matt. Matt, I saw what you did. That was excellent. Well done. And they may not know what that, what that is. All we're doing is, you know, if you if we can praise the player or we can acknowledge the action, that's an appropriate action for the moment in context, in that moment, in time, in space. We're acknowledging something and then players will want to do it again and again and again because all they want to do is do what? They want to, they want to please us. That's what they're after because they don't do that. They might be getting the, the, the thought, he's not going to pick me or select me. Uh Certainly the higher levels, that's possible. And we'll probably go through the, the thought process. But yeah, we've become very, very much, very much uh, attuned. And, and a lot of work's gone into that social construction piece, Matt. And, and I, I feel very, you know, it, it aligns with, with where, where I'm at and what we do. And, uh, you know, rather than the autonomy, and I've come through there as well, where it, it's very autocratic. You know, you talk about the American model. Well, you know, coach is king. And, I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not decrying any of those models because I think there's a place for it equally. Is, you know, you, you, you have a little saying that the inmates must never be able to, they must never run the asylum. Co players are there for us. They, if they don't know the answers, we've got to help draw the answer out from them. And if that doesn't, then we've got to tell them. There's got to be a place where you've got to tell them. And just think as maybe the creativity stifles somewhat when we're constantly telling. It becomes robotic. And I get the different models between American football because it stops that. Our football, our soccer, is not that. It's fluent. Players can go anywhere. They can run with it. There's no stop starts as there is in American football. So, so I get the model piece. But terms of coaching from from you know the, the UK or England which is where I'm, I'm based you know we have that there's a little bit more uh, uh, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say freedoms more education and then watching you know paying attention to people who are who are exceptionally good at doing what they're doing from a coaching point of view and then what we do we what do we do we adapt it 
uh, to be what we see. So we'll adopt what we hear, adopt what we see, and then we adapt it to meet our model, our our little uh, our little way of the world to then meet our players' needs. Yeah, I want to pause and emphasize this. I think it's it's really important. Uh, you know, I once heard someone say, "You cannot give what you don't have," and I think it was in relationship to parenting. But if we take that to coaching, you know, your your training session is the model in which the the athlete gets to experiment with all things. But in the context of what we're talking about, is feelings. If you don't have a connection to that in yourself, then you cannot transmit that to a player. That doesn't mean you can't learn to, but the coach becomes the mirror to the player. Uh, the coach is, has to, I think, and I think you say this in the book, but they are the model that, the, that they want the player to aspire to. And one of the things you say is that consider the notion that you cannot not communicate. Talk a little bit about communication and how it relates here. Yeah. As, as you've mentioned, Mike, you cannot not communicate because every time you do something, you are communicating a message. It doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be a verbal message, but it could be something as simple as, we'll put it into an example, that, that you walk onto the field, all the players are on there, and you walk onto the field, you've not said a word, but you're, you're moping. You're walking very slow, your head's down, you're sulking a little bit. What message does that portray? And then you go onto the field and you, you talk very slowly. And, and, and guys, what we want to do today is we want to be very energetic. And straight away, with the way you've walked on the field, with the way that you've presented yourself, because let's face it, if you've got 20 players, that's 40 eyes looking at you. And you've only got two eyes, so they're seeing you more than you're seeing them. And you then go on and start talking about how you want it to be energetic. Well, the enthusiasm and the energy is great, but where does it start and where does that come from? That comes from the coach. The coach goes on with the energy. They present it. They portray that in the way that they walk, in the way that they carry themselves, in the things that they don't say, in the things that they do say. And, and it goes all the way from just very subtle things. If you want somebody to get there fast and you say, can you get there fast? Well, it doesn't really have that same kick. Whereas, Mike, get there, get fast, be quick. And it invokes a reaction from people. And in, in every little thing that you do, in everything you say, you are communicating something. There are, there are obviously there are numerous examples that we can that we can go through and cover, but I think it's important that people are aware of it, and whether it be something on the sideline, and and we talk in the book about consistency and being aligned in messages. And if I tell you, Matt, don't worry, I Matt, I'll never, I'll if you give the ball away today, you just carry on, not a problem, and and you go and give the ball away in the first five minutes, and I don't say anything, but I wave my hands around, or I put my head down and start shaking, and that's communicating something to you, where I might have said I'm not going to berate you for a mistake, but non-verbally I have done, 
and and people can pick up on that and we have to be very mindful of what we say we have to be very mindful of how we say it and we have to be very mindful of how we carry ourselves and the way that our the energy that our body transmits to people right and and so what you're talking about here is there has to be this awareness right there has to be and I, and you mentioned this right it starts with knowing yourself first as a coach mm-hmm. uh, the work has to take place first and foremost with the coach being able to identify how he or she sees the world reacts to the world feels doesn't feel because that's the point that the player feels mm-hmm. and and Keith you actually have a wonderful story that drives home this point about communication um, and that's about the lone wolf so walk us through that story this really is this particular story it was a case study that i uh, undertook some years ago with a with a with a group and i had a player in there matt uh, that never spoke and, I, and when i say never spoke that's exactly you'd say hello to him and he'd just grunt wouldn't say anything and you know i'm the sort of guy i was speaking to you i want you i want to i want to i want your eyes and i want you to pay attention to what i'm saying so I wanted to find out a wee bit more about the what was taking place. Why was this boy, why did he never speak? And, and what a journey that took me on. So the first chapter and really the book was, that's where it came from. And that's the, the Lone Wolf is, that's where the book started. So anyway, the, the boy came into the club uh, some years ago and, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't the most technically proficient. We took him on, you know, his ability to, his attitude was first class. His, his ability to want to learn was exceptionally good. But there was still something else. So I think when coaches are actually wanting players to, you know, communicate phonetically and shout and ball, I don't think there's a place for it at times. We're actually coaching things that will either develop in time, but they're all going to be different. You know, this player plays by his actions. And he and so he got the he got the connection with the rest of the players not by what he was saying, but by what he was doing. So I contacted the parents and spoke to the mum, who was a, a wonderful, gregarious, lively woman. It was over one Christmas period, and I just asked how Christmas was. Just again, really, what I was doing is intel collecting. I wanted to know whether the lad was getting, was he getting bullied? You know, all those thoughts are going through my Was he getting bullied? Is he being suppressed? I'm far from it, by the way. Loving family. But I wanted to find out a bit more about him. And to do that, you've got to dig a little bit deeper. So I asked the mum who I'd never seen. I'd never spoke, never seen her. Uh, I'd seen the dad. I'd never seen the mum. But then, uh, you know, I bumped into her and, so how many, how many other children do you have? I've got four. Okay, so where is, in this case, John? Who, you know, the, he's the lone wolf in the book. Where's John? Is he the youngest, eldest? He's the, oh, he's the baby. Okay. Uh, and he's a twin. All right. Okay, so I'm starting to open up a little bit more. I didn't know where the conversation was going, so only through questioning and uh you know, a real desire to want to find out uh, a little bit more about, you know, is it a ball about players? Well, yeah, it is. 
it is about players, but to help them, we may have to find a little bit more about them. So she said, yeah, I've got a, he's, he's a twin. And his sister does all the talking for him in school. And that was a light bulb moment for me. That was a bingo moment. Crikey. You know, and I, wow. You know, what a, that was, I guess, relief in one respect. Because I might have had a, I might have had a eureka moment, but definitely the light bulb uh, lit up. Because I thought, now, do I start working with his sister to help him in school? Of which you know, she, I couldn't do that. But it was a thought. But then it, by knowing that, it then helped me to then work with him. Uh, I did ask the mum, I said, listen, is he around? She said, yes. Uh, now, 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 this was the kicker. That he, she, she brought him, he was, on, he was on the phone, and you know, the mum's on hands-free, so I needed to ensure she could hear as well. And I asked the question, uh, I said, oh, it was Christmas. Fine. Now, bear in mind, never speaks at all. Fine. Thank you. And then he asked me a question, which I'd never, never, you know, never for life of me thought he would have asked the question. And this question came through. Was, and it might only sound trivial. It might be small, but it was huge for me. It was a breakthrough. So I was Christmas. Fine. And then he asked me, how was your Christmas? And that was just those words. I put the phone down and I couldn't, I would, you know, it was brilliant. It was an absolute wonderful moment because I've always been a ball, bib, cone, grass. I think them players, but in actual fact, there's, you know, I'm digging around here about, uh, about subjects outside of the game, but actually helped me to work with someone or we as a, you know, as coaches can actually help develop this young man in another area of his, uh, in another area. And that was the social aspect because you know, it, it's important you've got to be able to play and kick a ball and be tidy and look effective and you know they're playing for a you know playing for a big club but the point being as and i implore all listeners you know you need if you got those issues you don't have to force the issue because there might be a cultural difference you know they might not want to look you in the eye because culturally the players don't you know if you're from nigeria some of the african countries it, it's a it's 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 a sign of disrespect when you look an adult in the eye, but yet as adults we want that, you know some want that. Now, I like them looking in the eye, but it doesn't mean they're listening. I don't mean anything. What you do, you can stigmatize you. The looking, you know, look at me, look me in the eye, and as a group, and they do, and I don't mean anything. All it does, is you just draw on their attention. But sometimes we've got to leave them and not fix them, not look to go out to fix. And that in itself was, uh, you know, as long as I've been coaching, one of the one of the most powerful experiences. But the other thing which is which is telling was telling for me is he, he felt more comfortable, probably behind the telephone and safer than he would be eye to eye because there's a, there might have been an intimidation. I don't. I certainly don't believe that from my perspective. And so, you know, that was a footing, a foundation, and, you know, the, the boys flying. Uh, you know, there's been a, you know, Andovers and other coaches have picked that up so they don't have to force the issue of wanting to communicate because I, I hear it a lot. They're not talking. Can, can you help me play? Can you help me? Because my players don't talk to each other. Or they don't communicate on the pitch. Really? Are they playing? Have you ever played silent football? 
and not have any don't play for don't play with any words play but silent and play in silence and then ask them the question you know you know they've just scored a goal and I'm not saying you don't need communication by that and the communication bit which you cannot communicate but we do need verbal communication but certain positions on the pitch you need it less this player this player that I'm referring to doesn't he doesn't you know, he's, he's developed now for sure, but he's still shy, still quiet, but he has such a massive impact through his action. So we've got to be a little bit more patient with them. Don't force the issue. Don't, don't look to fix. Let them develop organically. And as long as we're making them feel comfortable, because what I did do is I asked him, and it could have gone pear-shaped, miss. We, were on a, we went on tour and... I, I, we'd set up all the uh, all the rooms, so the the, you know, the room, uh, uh, the names, and the lads were going in specific rooms. So we, again, detail around who he goes with was 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 thought through. But I asked him to get all the lads' names and the room numbers, and I want it back, and I want it back quickly. And within five ten minutes, it, it was, and he wrote everything. I'd asked him other things around, even though I didn't want to talk. Can you talk? Explain to me in writing how you felt today. What did you learn today? What things can we do? What things can I do to help you? And he came back with those. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't tell me. He wrote it. It's a starting point. And it is just exactly that. It's a start rather than forcing them. Because when we force them up, we're actually taking them into an uncomfortable, ugly zone. And I believe it takes them further away from where they want to be. And that's not right. I'm, I'm completely against all of that. But a great experience. So chapter one of the book, you know, The Lone Wolf was, was, a, was, a, was a wonderful experience. But, you know, this young boy, little did he know, he was teaching me something. And I call it the hidden school. You never know where the next learning lesson is taking place. And when we reflect as coaches around our practice and, you know, deep, deep reflection, you know, did that work today? Well, no, he did, well, it must be the players. You know, they, you look yourself in the mirror a little bit because no matter how long you've been involved in the game, I think we do need to reflect deeply upon our own practices. And it's sometimes not the players. It's us. So that there's a law of, it's called the law of requisite variety. And the law of requisite variety means any man, machine or system that has the widest available options available to them will control the system. So what we've got to do as a coach, so in other words, from a coaching point of view, across all disciplines, if all you've got is one option to be able to do certain things and it does work, and then you come to the dojo, or you go to the gym, or you go to the uh, you go to the, the soccer fields, and and you do the same thing with a with a different team or a different player, and it doesn't work, and you continually try to bash that. So the more options you got available to to work across, breaking specific barriers around how to communicate, connect, different practice designs, because it's not like, listen, it's not only one way. We just got to be sensitive. So the sensitivity around this, the lone wolf was wonderful, great learning for me and opened up so many avenues. And, you know, as I said, it right at the beginning of this particular question, it was a super learning and uh, I didn't know. 
you know, I've looked at it upon myself. I've, I've played that lone wolf as well, where it's dark, ugly, quiet. You know, it's we're, we're just all we are really is just postmen of information. We're just delivering messages, but sometimes that message doesn't land because we're not receptive enough to, you know, to the recipient. So he's paying more attention to what's outside of us rather than, you know, in their own emotion. What an incredible story. And if you are coaching, even if you're not coaching, you're going to probably want to listen to that again. There's a lot of pearls in there. Uh, Two things that, you know, took my attention. The first is communication. And and David, I'm going to turn this back to you. Uh, But communication, in my experience, right, is the most widely used and incorrectly used statement that coaches use, right? You need to communicate on the field. Even by definition alone, what does that mean? Does it mean talk, like just talk about your life? No, there's a purpose, but you're not going to have a player suddenly take up, you know, self-efficacy and speak for themselves if they don't feel safe. Uh, And that's such a big key here, which is if you want your player to talk, make them feel safe so they have the confidence to talk. So the question I have for you, David, is, you know, everything Keith says in that story about connecting with a player I wholeheartedly agree with. Mm-hmm. But, you know, being the devil's advocate, what would you say to the coach who says, oh, that's not my job. I don't have time for that. <laughs> um, shouldn't be coaching. <laughs> I think that, <laughs> that's my, uh, that would be my response. Uh, this is, y- you don't, and one of the coaches that we interviewed, he he actually said you don't you don't clock in and clock out when you're a coach. It's not like right. It's it's six p.m. and I'll swipe the card and I'll clock in at six and at eight o'clock the session's done. I'll clock out and we're done. That's it. My job's over. Uh, it's not how it works. And. And even even now, I mean, what what we're going through as globally as people, it's, um, this has never happened before. And we have to be creative and and find ways that we may be we may we have to do things differently. And I had a conversation, and I've had many a conversations late at night um, after practice is done, with, or after games, where I'll speak to a player with the parent on the phone too. And I had one last night with a player I had one, and it was, it, it was such a, it was just a simple call of finding out how he's doing. How's school going? And I, I learned that math is his favorite subject. So I know where I'm going to be going if I need any accounting doing, if I need any numbers adding up and I'll be referring back to that answer that, that he likes math. Um, but it, it, yeah, to go back to your question, it, I, I, I don't, if, if a coach believes that the job solely lies on just turning up, delivering a session and leaving, then they're, they're, they're hugely mistaken. And if that's the belief that they have, um, I don't believe that they should be delivering and, and working with people because we've we've mentioned it we want to take people on a journey from one place to another we want to help them we want to guide them and we want to do that yeah i I, yeah that's a tough one it's a i I just don't 
it goes beyond the field. Totally. I, I 100% agree with you. And thank you for having the bravery to say that. Uh, you know, again, we go back to what you talked about earlier is looking at yourself and as a coach who's getting into coaching, exploring what your motivations are. That if you don't want to invest that, then you need to sit with that and explore that. Um, Cause maybe that's communicating something to you that, uh, you know, you don't want to invest in. And so that then leads to my next question. And it's the same question you, you ask in the book, which is what is motivation? Mm. Yeah. So with, with the motivation, because it, it, it's a big part of it. We, it's not that it's all about results, but we want to get success and we want people to achieve as much as they can when they're performing. And if you know what makes people tick, you're more likely to, to get more out of them. And there's a little part of, of, of that chapter in the motivation chapter that talks about um, the towards and away motivation. Um, it, it basically refers to people that are motivated towards something are striving for a goal because they want to get to it. So it could be, for it could be for a, a professional athlete that wants to represent the national team. So their motivation is representing the national team. They want to, that's where they want to be. And as the coach, if you understand that, you can use that. Look, if you want to, if you want to play for the national team, you, you, you may need to do X, Y, and Z and you can utilize it um, because they're striving towards where you'll have athletes that, they may not be motivated to go towards something. They may be motivated by actually moving away from things they've, that they don't want. So it could be that a, a player has, or an athlete has grown up in hardship. They've grown up in poverty and they're doing what they're doing to get the, the family out of that. And again, it goes, it's, it's the same thing. If I, was, if I was to go to that player or that athlete and say, you know, for you to win this title, we need to do X, Y, and Z. It, it may not be ticking the boxes. That's not what really motivates that person. It may not be specifically what motivates them. And I think for us as coaches, we have to obviously get a, a better understanding and delve deeper into what motivates the players to, to be able to tick the boxes and, and get the juices flowing. Can I, can I add something to that, Matt? Of course. We... So we, we play, it's a story, uh, a true story. We played, we played a, uh, another Premier League team from down south and one of the players, one of our players, he played in, in what we'd call a, a cam position, central attacking midfield playing role and so he's received the ball from one of our black players. And he, he's, he's, he's jinked and then he's played the ball out to our left winger a left-sided midfield player who's then, and then, who then has received the ball comfortably. Now, I'll just pause it there. The midfield player has passed the ball, has played it diagonally, he's behind the player that he's played it to, and then he's got ahead of the ball. But it's how he did it. So he's got ahead of the ball quickly. Now I'll, let, let's go. Now we play again. So I just wanted to give you a framework of what happened with the midfield player after playing the ball. The left-sided midfield player is jinked. He's gone past his, his right-sided opponent. 
and then he's he's actually put a cross in. The midfield players go on the end of it and volleyed it on the full. So he's hit it without the ball being on the floor. He's, he's volleyed it and he's volleyed it in the top, the goalkeeper's top right-hand corner. And all the crowd are clapping. It's just parents. There's not hundreds there. It's just the parents of the players. And I'm, I'm looking at it thinking, what the heck can you do about that? It's wonderful. So after the game, it was an instinctive thing. I, I, asked, I asked the player, I said, look, I just needed this. It was, a, for me, a magical moment that was about to happen, but I had no idea where it was going. Other than, is your mum or daddy here? Well, my dad's working and my mum's here. So well, can you go and get your mum? And so I had to do his, 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 so that I'm not on my own with the parent. So there are other people around, but we found a place where it was quiet, other parents around and the players there. And I asked the player, who was a young boy, by the way, he was only, yeah, he was only nine, maybe 10. And I looked him in the eye and I pointed to him. I said, I've got to thank you. I want to thank you for sharing that magical moment for me to be present, to watch and observe what you did was, was fantastic. And I, and I thank you for that. So this is a young boy. I also knew at that point that I've got a parent there and I am influencing the parent indirectly. So there's an element of motivation taking place for the player to make him feel a million dollars because then what I wanted to do is I want to bring this back again on the, during the next training session, of which we try to replicate in volleying. And, and, and so that intrinsic driven motivation that the boy had to get for was one thing. That's one. Two, to, to show uh, a, a, an a ability and the proficiency level to do what he did is another thing. But to see it in action, all in one fluid motion was, was, was just for everybody to see was, oh, I, I, I can see it now. But it was mentioned so that you, you're driving, knowing the individual, which I did, but not really knowing where it may go with the parent. I just knew it was a magical moment to actually see where it goes next. So the, the motivation for me uh, was driven from that moment that, that I'd seen prior to, to pass this on through prayers and then see what comes next. So we can help drive that motivation with the players are the players are motivated to turn up. Some of them are forced to pay to come, I'm sure, because the parents are paying. They just want to get them out of the way. You know, where I'm at, I'm working with players that are working towards performance. You know, they want to get on and play for a first team. And the vast majority, unfortunately, not going to be able to do that. And I think the parents are realistic. So, you know, as David mentioned, you know, the, the intrinsic motivation, they're there already. The extrinsic driven motivation, all I was wanting to do is drop little seeds in, see where it goes. And then when he came bounding in on the, during the next training session, he said, can we replicate? And I, all I did, I just pulled him to one side. And what, what were we doing? Well, we're doing volleying. He came to me the following sessions and asked me, can you do some more volleying? So we're dropping seeds in covertly, overtly, any way you want to put it, 
all I want to see is a performance model and I want to see it through enhancement and, and, and an increase of, uh, of, of, of a level so that it, it, it you know, they, they get that massive attainment. But again, we're aiming to make, a, make them feel good about themselves. Are we making them feel good? Well, no, I don't believe we do. What we're going to do, we can help it. All we're doing is dropping in little particles of some information that may or may not go. But when you pass the information, we then just got to be receptive of what comes next. You don't just got to leave it. You, know, you mentioned the question about nonverbal communication. You can't not communicate. Well, correct. The players pick it up. There was research done by a guy called Albert Morabian back in the back in the late sixties, and uh, you know Albert Morabian. You know the. He, not going to go into percentages i think it's in context of course but in the context i'm referring to is around emotion around non-verbal communication stuff so all i'm all we're doing is being tuning in dropping in a seed where does it go does it develop that motivation for them to want to get on and do and improve or does it take them further away from where we want them to be and i guess it depends on the philosophy of the the uh, the club and uh, and the culture of the club as well. Wow. I mean, okay, let's just jump in. Uh, David, I'm coming back to you with this um, because now we're starting to get into so much of what I'm doing with teams around mindset and what that means. And, you know, what your dad is talking about is framing and in particular reframing. And I'm hoping you can touch on that. What is reframing and how can it be used as a coach? Yeah, so reframing uh, within that that part of the book is where you you reframe somebody's thoughts from one thing to another. Um, so that there's one part in the book, and it's something that I've experienced too, where I had a, a player that believed that he couldn't do something, and and I think as as coaches we have to be very attuned to what athletes say, the words that they use. Um, because that gives us a key, uh, a cue. And I had a, a player, that I, and, and I'm sure there's a lot of people that have experienced this, where there be a player that might have said, you know, I can't do or I don't want to. Well, I had a player that said I, I he had a chance to hit the ball with his, his left foot and he said, oh, you, you could have hit it. And he said, I, I can't. I can't use my left foot. And... I said, oh, brilliant. So you, you, you can't use it. And all I did, I, I threw a ball out for him, threw a ball out, and he, he ran after it and hit it with his left foot. And as he, as he came back, um, I said, oh, you, you, just, you just told me you, couldn't, you, you can't use your left foot, but you've, you've just done it. And the kid actually scored the goal. Brilliant. Yeah, I mean, you couldn't write it. But... I don't think that that's not the point in this. It's the fact that somebody believes that, that, yeah, that in that instant, the kid believed that he couldn't do something. Um, and we broke that belief just with the language that I used and with demonstrating that he could do it. And it, it's not to say that all of a sudden that kid is now completely efficient with that foot, um, with his left foot, but neither was Picasso when he first picked up a paintbrush. So there are, there are processes. I think everything that, that we go through is a process. And for us, the, the main thing is if, 
if we if we change the way that athletes view a task, the way they perform the task inevitably changes. And if we can give them if we can give them things from different perspectives, it can change the way that they look at it. And with with the story that I told, I just changed the kid's perspective from not being able to do something to you can do it. And it's something that I look out for quite a lot. I that that one example and in the role that I'm I'm working in, I go across a lot of different age groups and a lot of in the younger ages where I'll be watching and I'll 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 be pulling kids to the side and and I, I that's happened quite a lot. Obviously, not over the past month or so, but over the past two months prior to that, where it's it's reframing something and breaking a belief that somebody has to inevitably change the way that they view the task. And that's what we want to do. We want to open up the minds to to the possibilities that are that are there for them. Because who's to say that you can't do something? Their their belief that they can't do something may have come from. It may have come from the parents. It may have come from people around them. But our job, and, and I look at my job, is to to let these kids know that you, you can do something. And I'll work with you and change the way that you view that task to inevitably help you moving forward. Yeah, so well, much of... I'm sorry. Mike, let, me, let me ask you a question here. If I've got some information that can help you become even better at doing your podcasting, would you be interested in finding out what that might be? 100%. Sure. Now, so all we're doing is framing up a possibility of something might occur or might not. So I've just opened up a file in your brain just by asking the question. So that's the framing aspect. So where David's asking, where he's referring to, and you mentioned brought it up, framing or reframing, that, that's just only one aspect. It's how we do that. So through a question, who doesn't want to improve? Listen, I've got something. I've got something that might make you an even better player. You wanting to know what it is? Who doesn't want to know? Then you'd go into the stages and the steps that David just just gone through. But it's how you do that, and you know through the question. What we by asking curious questions and a question that drives somebody to want to to know something, we'll open up a file in the brain. So do you like football or soccer? Yes. Uh-huh. Or do you want to improve? Yes. Okay. What is it we need to do then to help you become even better? They're part of the journey then. Well, I could do with spending more time on the left foot. Okay, cool. All right. So what is it specifically we need to do then to help you with your left foot? And in what areas of the field do you then need to be using that left foot? then you be, you're getting more specificity. And the, the, the effectiveness from all of that is being driven by them through questions or by framing up initially and opening up that file. So as you open the file up in the brain, you then open another, you by asking another question, you're then opening up a chapter within the brain of the book of passing or of using the left foot. And then by asking another question, you start to get them into a telephone box or into a little area where it's just the, there's the answer. It's a, huh, why didn't I come up with that myself? And it's yeah, done that, and they don't know it. I, um, 
I also, I think that we can use things outside of the sport too. We can use examples from outside the sport. So when somebody says, I'm not good at this, you could, and, and let's put it into a sporting context, I'm not good at shooting. Well, that's okay. Have you ever improved at something before? Have you ever got better at something? When you were in, in school, did you know, last year at school, I know we, we spoke that you were, you like maths. Have you, did you get better at maths through the year? Well, yeah. Okay. So just because you may not think that you're good at something now doesn't mean that you can't get better. And we can use examples and we can pull from, so I, I touched on the kid last night that I spoke to that he, he enjoys math and he's, he's loving doing his math stuff from home and just knowing little bits of information like that we can use when it comes into the sport. And um, when you, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at will change. And we have a, a re really big responsibility and what we can do is we can enable that within our athletes. Yeah. Really, really powerful stuff. And on the, on the team level, exactly what I'm doing, which is exposing the story that, uh, in your case, a player is telling themselves, right? We all have a story, a construct, an opinion of ourselves. And that opinion, that story is guiding their behavior. And so what you're doing is you're, you're interrupting it, right? You're, you're saying we got to stop the story. So a no story can, can develop. And you reference something called a pattern interrupt. And uh, I wanted to ask earlier, so this is a great time to bring this in, but you know, what is a pattern interrupt and what is NLP? That's a great question. Or, or, or the latter question, what we have is the, so the pattern interrupt is if you have a player that goes down. Uh, so there's two different forms of, of pain. I'm sure there are many more, but the two pre predominant ones in, in, uh, in what we look at is are they physically injured? And if they are, then, you know, the player's injured. You can see it. But if they're injured, if they actually go down and they are, it's an emotion. And what we've then got to do is break that pattern. We've got to, you know, and they're crying. Are they crying injury or they're crying because of, because of emotional pain? And when a player hits the floor, you know, there's a shock of it. And we've got to be mindful of it. But it's then how do we actually pay attention to the player where we got other lads, other players or other girls are on the floor crying, or one player crying, and we've got you know, a squad of, I don't know, 16 plus players. We're, we're, our attention's drawn to the one player that's on the floor crying. So how do we break that pattern? And really what, you, what we do is, you, we, can we help them to replace it as something of greater good for them? But again, it's how you do it. And so, you know, we, we, we shock them. You know, I think if I went over to the player that's crying and uh, you're hard and, you know, if they are injured, they're injured. Sure, look after it. But if they're not, we don't have the time to, you know, to mess around with, you know, players that are, you know, extremely emotional. We, we've got to pay attention to it, but it's a draw on time. So basically all I will do at times, and it is only a way, this is not the only way, but it's a strategy that I use, is are you injured? Is a question. No. Are you, do you want to play? Do you want 
you want to continue playing? Is a question. Yes. Right. Well, either get up or get off. It's a pattern interrupt. That's one way. But what I'll do is embed another question or embed a command in there by, are you injured? No. Do you want to come off? No. Right. I'm going to give you five seconds to get off the floor. Otherwise, you are coming off the field. Do you understand? So it's the manner in which you approach it because you're shocking them. They don't, you know, they're actually maybe used to that, you know, that soft soap or, oh, come on, you're all right. And then what does it do? What do they do? You start doing that. You pander to their whim. They start crying. You're, not, you're spending more time on the floor with them, helping them, than they're getting them up. So if you ask, look, are you injured? No. Are you playing? Yes. Five seconds to play. Get up or get off. Five, four, three. And they get up. Now, doesn't finish there. Because we need to wind this in and we need to have some, we need to have an outcome. So the pattern interrupt is breaking, the, severing the wiring system from their emotion, the not not the injury, because they're injured, you've got to deal with it, I've mentioned. But if it's an emotional shock, break the state quickly, sever the wiring system, give them the shock of you're coming off, so it's pain and you're not playing. Or, or, and you ask the question, do you want to play? Yes, well, either get up or get off. You've given them, you've framed it up. And then you're giving them a timeline to actually, you know, you've got five seconds to get up. Five, four, they're up after three. You've then got to compliment them. That is brilliant. Matt, that is absolutely fantastic. Well done, you. How brave are you? Well done, son. Off and away you go. Now, it doesn't finish there either. Stop the game. Stop the practice. If it's a practice, of course, get out and stop the game. Stop the practice. Give me the ball. Matt, go on. I want you to go. Have you scored a goal? No, not scored a Go on, off you go. You give him your ball. You're having the ball. And really, I'm not giving you time to think about the emotion of feeling that shock of pain. So you're breaking the pattern. You're severing the wiring system from the thought process and replacing it of something that is either painful for them, for them to come off, or you're giving them pleasure by actually applauding and, and giving them a, you know, a feeling of gratification and they, they please you as the coach. So the subtle and that, and that little technique uh, of, of, uh, that's used has so many little intricacies around it. But again, we've got to be receptive to what's coming back because it doesn't always function that way. You, you, you don't always work, but the pattern interrupt is, you know, you, if your phone rang now, Matt, what you would do is pick the phone up or, you know, if we're, on a, if we're on the phone or we're in front of each other and you'll pick your phone up and you'll take it and, uh, yeah, well, I'll be home, I'll go and pick up the shop in. And then you come back into the conversation. We tend to have a little bit of a lull. Oh, you thought your brain will then rewire and think about, oh, but you'll find it unless somebody else breaks that pattern again for you, the phone goes again, you'll take it. So that's what it is. In terms of NLP, now look, I don't think I'm sufficiently, or we are sufficiently qualified to speak about it, but, but really, uh, in a nutshell, neuro-linguistic programming is, is, the, is the neuro system, neurology, li using linguistics. And then all we're doing is we're conditioning. We're, we've just got discs. We, we, we walk around with a disc in there all the time. So I can be listening to tracks of music that I like that were, you know, that 
that actually I remember years and years ago when I was back in the States in 1982 when we won the national championships or championship. When a track comes on, that will take me back to that time back then and it will evoke uh, and create a stimulus response. So we, we, wire, we, we go around with this wiring system, this CD, these CD. You want to walk around with negative thoughts all the time. Well, happy days, just being an happy, happy character. But that's a choice. I know we're in unprecedented times, but you know, if you're living with reality, so neuro-linguistics is the neuro, neurological system, linguistics and using language to change specific patterns of behavior. So reframing, is a, is a form of language. It's just a form of an, a model of communication. In essence, it's just the, what NLP is, the structure of subjective matter. But it's extremely powerful when you have a base understanding of language. And of course, we can't not communicate. So we're communicating at every, every single stage, even though you'd be silent. You know, we use language and communication through every cell of a body. So, you know, the, the co-founder of uh, neurolinguistics uh, uh, neuro is a guy called Richard Bandler, and he's an absolute genius. I'm, you know, I'm, not a, I'm not a follower of cults or gangs or going to parties. I'm the sort of guy that, yeah, it is what it is. And if it's straight, uh, if I don't like it, you're likely to know about it, either through me not listening and going, because I get bored very quickly, or I pay attention. And this guy is by far, is the only genius I've ever met my entire life. And I know the, you know, what's been asked is about our book, but I think it's only fitting that he gets, he gets a, he gets a, you know, a lion's share from my thoughts through this question. And then my answer is he's been very instrumental in, uh, in, in, you know, my life uh, and many other people's lives incidentally. But of course, and I dare say is, there's many other models of communication and being receptive to those as well rounds us. And, and I'm mindful of that. And I'm equally, uh, I've got an understanding of other models, but it's, it, it's a model that I understand. And, I, and there's an application, a practical application that applies to me as a coach working in my field with my players in that moment, in that time, in this space. And, 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 and if it, if it works, great if it don't it's not going to work for everybody because there are strategies and uh, you know there are there are there are models that you know that that i don't think apply to football through linguistics but you know we we're using linguistics every single day and we're influencing and you know you go well you know, you shut your eyes i'll put you into trance no 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 no. you can have people with their eyes open and, and well and truly in trance so you can be you can have your eyes open eyes wide open and well and truly out the way through telling metaphors and stories and all we're doing is taking people on a journey so you can be in a trance but and have your, have your eyes wide open and I guess it's the depth of understanding and being receptive to what's happening outside Keith, and you I don't should, think I've done it justice I was going to say Keith you should be a coach you're really good at this stuff <laughs> Uh, well. so, so gentlemen, you have been so generous, uh, with your time as we near our end here, I want uh, to ask you each one, one question. And that is, what do you wish every coach knew? Ooh. Wow. Um, 
What do I wish every coach knew? Um, I would say the big one for me, um, I'm going to go with, can I go with two? Can I? You can go with however many you need. Perfect. We'll go with two. I'll, I'll, I'll throw two out. Um, so this is a tough one because I want to be, I want to do it, do the, the question justice. Um, on a phone, a friend. So, yeah, 50 50. So, I would say the first, the, the first thing that I think every coach needs to know is that regard, it doesn't matter how much you know about the sport from a technical and a tactical standpoint. If you can't communicate effectively and deliver messages effectively, the knowledge that you have will be wasted. So, the ability to communicate and transfer messages from one person to another is absolutely crucial in being effective. Um, that would be the first one. And the second one, and, and it actually, um, on, your, uh, on your site, Matt, with the blogs, there was one on there talking about who helps the coach. So for me, having mentors is absolutely essential. And it doesn't have to be sports-specific mentor. They could be from a business field. They could be from a personal perspective. Um, they could be within the sports field. But having mentors that can help and can guide and can prov provide advice, advice, but can also be honest as well with you, because it's all well and good having somebody that tells you that everything's rosy and everything's great. But there will be times when you'll be faced with challenges as a coach. There'll be times when you, you may have uh, I guess messed up. You may you may need to reevaluate what it is you do and having somebody that's honest, but is there to help you is so important. So, um, I, I have, I've got a few mentors. My dad is, is, is obviously one of them. Um, but I also have, I have other mentors within the sport and, and I have ones outside of the sport that I lean on. Uh, we speak not every week, but, but, a couple of times a month at least where I'll seek advice and we'll share ideas and I, I pick up so much from them. And I think everybody needs to have a mentor in their lives to, to truly reach potential because there, there are so many people that can provide so much knowledge and, and um, so much help and guidance for you that you need to go and seek it. For me, what, what a coach needs to know is the more and more you think you know, the more and more you think, the more and more you actually don't. So being receptive to understanding that. You also need to know where to buy the book, which I'm sure David will share that one. But I think as it's in reflection of your own practice and being open, surround yourself with, with good mentors. Know that they're out there and they are. You just got to look for them. I think if you're equally, I think you've got to be, you know, you've got to surround yourself with other sports and, you know, have a nice balance of life outside of. And because it'll, this football is a thief, soccer is a thief, sport is a thief. And having balance, or if you don't have balance, there'll be uh, an inequality around 
you know, other aspects of human needs and, and the human need of development and growth and of satisfaction uh, and of feeling significant gets, gets less by having, having a more balance towards, you know, all your sport and some, you know, the immersed life in sports, which, is, which I admire. But I think it's very important to know that there are other things outside of your sport that you can learn from, that you can take back into your sport. And then as a consequence to that, add even more value to you and as a consequence of having more value to you, the players and the athletes that you work with are going to get greater gains. And I don't think there's any great, any greater satisfaction actually helping and contributing towards somebody else's development. So open-mindedness, the more and more you think you know, the more and more you, 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 if you're open-minded, is the more and more you'll find out you don't. And it doesn't matter who you are, I don't know any man who's his own island that knows everything. Certainly, I haven't come across anybody yet. I'm sure many will have many answers to, but have they lived it? You know, the ones that can talk about it and lived it. I had a conversation with somebody today. Was he's, he's coached in the Premier League? He's he's uh, he's he's, uh, he's coached uh, international football, England international football, and listening to him and. Uh, you know, the poor of us are in the fifties, and and it were like were like little, two little schoolboys, you know, wanting to find out more about those experiences. So, yeah, I think it's important to have that um, being humble and having humility. That's what they need to know. But hey, I, we've all got starting points, and might be in and around that already. And if you are brilliant, thank you both. Uh, I think I lied when I said that was the last question. This is officially the last question, and that is, this book was written before the COVID hit this world and before social distancing affected life and as a part of life athletics. I'm wondering, you know, just what, what are your, not your experience, but how, how does a coach process this incredible book? against the backdrop of social distancing? Are there things can help? Uh, or what, if any, connections do you make there to our current situation? So the book, even though it is, the book is, is it's in a sporting context. The book deals with people. It's based around the importance of connecting with and building relationships with people. So like you said, Matt, we're going through COVID. We, it's an unknown. We don't know where it's going. We don't know where the end will be. We don't know what it will be like when sports start back up. But I think the one thing that's going to run true regardless is the importance of building good relationships, the importance of building a connection with people and the technique, skills and behaviors behind doing that. And that's also the same in business. It's also the same when you're, you're meeting people in the street. There are ways that you can connect with people that get a deeper relationship and, and help, help you and help them um, along the path. And like we said, we don't know where we're going to go. We don't know where it's gonna, when it's going to end. I don't think anybody truly knows what it's going to be like when we do start back up. The only thing we do know is we're still going to be dealing with people. 
And that's the massive, massive thing to remember. Look, we're every Thursday night in, in England at, at eight o'clock every Thursday, eight o'clock. Now where I live, you know, I, I don't know my next door neighbor. I, I don't, we rarely speak. We know of each other and good morning. The, you know, we're polite. I know what she does and, but we don't delve into her life. There's a privacy and, and neighbors across the road. We don't know what we speak. And every Thursday night, eight o'clock, we all come out just to applaud our national health service. And we, we applaud the pans are coming out and you know, last night we do the same thing and we're out there. It's a beautiful night. And what we finish off doing, I'm actually communicating to somebody that I don't know. It's a neighbor across the road. I know we know them. We're actually delving in and, you know, genuinely wanting to find out about, you know, other people, you know, there's, what it's allowed us to do this and it's it is unprecedented in the you know our current landscape of being in these uncharted waters we don't know where it's going to be and where it's where, what you know what's going to unfold eventually but at some point something will happen i just think in the interim you know we we you know we we, we relax that's one thing as a coach and embrace good learning you know drink deeply into good books listen and can you know contact with you know your colleagues of and, and you know I, I you know for the people that know me I genuinely want to find out how they're doing anyway but they're actually contacting me whilst we've been on this podcast you know I've had I've, I've had three three texts from coaches that that I work with and know and you know I've been reading them and you know how you doing and for, it just get, it brings something else I just hope as we can you know, it, it sticks this, this affinity towards wanting to help and the sincerity of this, you know, these isolating times that we currently live in. Hopefully they, they, the old and, you know, they, we carry those on because it can't do anything else, but, but be better and help us. I know that when we come out of it, you know, the employees or employers be wanting to pick up their employees and let's get back to full tilt, you know, and make up for lost time. I don't think that's, we're never going to get back to normality. It's not coming now. We're not going to ever go back to normality. It's changed forever, uh, but it's in our hands and how we make it and take it forward. But now what we do is we, uh, you know, we've got to, we've got to embrace what we have and move it forward. And it's all through our own. It's, this is in our hands now. You know, we live in, we, we can live in these, ugly times or you can live in a very exciting time and i'm i'm excited with what what uh, you know what comes ahead it's it's just a mindset the, the mind is such a powerful piece of kit and if you believe it can't do anything or we're not capable of doing something it'll be it, it, guess what you, you, your unconscious mind will, will comply with your, those thoughts if you have a positive demeanor and you know, you have a, you, you know, you, your internal dialogue is, is, is constructive and positive. Then you'll have a, you, you'll let your actions will then start to, so it's, it's going to take a period of time. But I just think as we're, it's opened us up a little bit more to more contact, lots of podcasts, great opportunities like yours has been an outstanding, you've been an outstanding ghost and it, it, it just fuels for or gauges us towards takes us towards this you know this hopefully helpful and 
you know, we'd never have met Matt. Matt, we'd never have met. If, it hadn't, if COVID hadn't occurred, you and I would never have met. And through the power of, you know, sport, through the power of one ball, in this case, soccer ball, uh, it connects so many people. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm thankful for that. Because it's there. If you want to be, if you want to be a miserable old get, then you know you're walking around with miserable thoughts in your head all day. Well, that's a choice. That's not what it's about. So it's a great opportunity. You know, people keeping safe, and that's what we want everybody to do on this. You know, who's listening to, you know, to you know to keep safe, be safe, look after each other. But I just think it's been brilliant. I've loved it. You know, I want to can't wait to get back on the grass. But I've loved the opportunity in 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 you know in you know in, in these interactions because they're very helpful, they're useful for me or you know, for us to actually share what we do and what we truly believe in. David and Keith Mayer, this has been an incredible experience for me. Uh, so many really fascinating, interesting, inspiring points. Uh, I'm really going to look forward to go back and listen to this episode again. Um, gold dust how to become a more effective coach quickly you can find that on amazon uh, i think if i remember correctly the uh the kindle version the digital version was seven dollars uh, and it was probably the best seven dollars i ever spent so thank you both very much i appreciate you and i appreciate your time thank you matt take care and be safe there be safe everyone Thanks, Matt. Appreciate you. Uh, appreciate you having us on. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Performance Rising podcast. If you liked what you heard, you can find all the information about the podcast at performancerising.org, and be sure to check out the Instagram page at performance underscore rising.